are back in the conversation with your host, Alex Gaynor. I'm here with my longtime friend, uh, former bandmate, esteemed colleague, and uh, trusted comrade, Will Cady. It's good to see you, man. Good to talk to you. Uh, we are here to, uh, let's see, chop it up about, uh, you might heard of this thing, astrology. Astrology. People talk about uh, like stars and planets and rotation and our Mercury retrograde, that's a thing. So here's, here's, here's where we're at. Let's define our roles real quick, just within the context of this conversation. Uh, let's see, you want me to go first? Your, my, my relationship to astrology and this sort of thing. What do you think? Yeah, go for it. Okay, here we go. All right, I'm driving, you know, but I have to let my guest talk too at some point. But we got to set the shit up, so let's get the fuck into it. Let's go. You can curse on this program. I don't have a boss or a network. Uh, okay, so here's my story with this. I've never been into astrology proper, but I read this book. This is part of their show, too. Note to the listener, here I have wandered off screen to get a book. When it's at your fingertips, look it up. So I have this. It's a book about numerology. Mm, okay. Heard of that. So this is numerology, right? So I picked this up one day. I saw it at the library. And I started reading and then I found my chapter because it's a form of like personality typing, you know, like uh, in this one, instead of your birth uh, date being the constellation, that's like the determinant thing. You know what I mean? Like I'm a Leo. Uh, you are a, a Gemini? Fuck, I forget. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, I remembered then. I remembered. Okay. Uh, but so in numerology, I found out I was an eight. I read the eight chapter. It fit my life to an absolute T. It freaked the hell out of me. And as, as soon as I read it, I couldn't stop thinking with its like uh, rules. It just, within a month, it was like, boom. That was maybe 2012 or 13. And I still, it still happens. I still add up numbers to find the spirit number, like in my brain. Mm-hmm. I still think in terms of like my uh, birth date, which is an eight, like I said. But I, th- I also think that's like ridiculous. You know what I mean? Because like, this is what I want to talk about. Is this is this for real at all? You know, so so I'm like in that between position of accepting that it it has a grip on me in some way, but also like not being willing willing to say that I just like buy it. Where I'm at. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, so you see you see the number eight that's that's appearing multiple times ever since. Um, yeah, in significant ways. I have one. I have one story, but wait. I want to give. I want to know your profile first before, before we uh, get too into the details. Okay. So, so like, uh, give me like your your history with this way of thinking. My history with this way of thinking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would say it goes. It goes to back to birth, being a member of the Katie family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, for listeners unaware, uh, Will comes from uh, the. A textbook definition of a hippie family, like everything you want a hippie family to be. It was uh, glorious parties. I spent so much time in this house. I learned how to be um, a, a, a reasonably responsible adult there in a lot of ways, you know. Uh, and it was like the place. It was the place. So Will uh, is my go-to guy for spirituality conversations, which is why he's here today. So you started there in the right environment. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say like coming from that environment and being an angsty teenager, um, you know, when, when our here. friendship formed. Same here. 
Yeah. Guilty as charged. Also angsty. Yep. I still am uh, a little bit. It was, it was really about like defining myself against that kind of belief system and in, in, in culture. So it was really interesting to be like really heavily adopting that as a kid and just embracing it fully and then approaching 13 and then just going into this rejection mindset. And so that kind of created this oh. sort of tension between, you know, what do I believe or want to incorporate into my identity or not? And, and quick, as, quick pause, quick pause. Yeah. When you say you had to uh, learn to resist it, what is, what is it? Is it just uh, kind of the the culture of of hippiedom, which I would I would peg as on the the opposite end of the spectrum as skepticism. That it is yeah, nice, good. Much, it's it's about embrace of mm-hmm. um, stories, information, ideas without really putting a critical eye to them. Um, the, the want to believe. Sure. And Open, so like openness, openness, openness. Yeah. yeah. The experience that I've had since, you know, forging into adulthood and right. you know, functioning out there in the world and learning more about passages, you know, in, in modern life and society, I really learned how, a lot of that openness and that embrace had supplemented the void of meaning and initiation and human connection that is rampant in our world and is not addressed from the skeptical side of the polarity. Sure thing. Uh, It filled filled a little, uh, filled the gap, if you will. It did, yeah. It might have filled the gap. But hang on, hang on. Before we... Before we keep describing it, let's like define it. Like, uh, so in your childhood, what is, what are like, give, what's the actual specific kind of like thinking, like way of thinking? Was it sort of just a, a mixture of things or, you know, like, uh, cause I, okay, quick aside, maybe not so quick aside. I grabbed those Carlos Castaneda books from your house. Cause your yeah. dad had those lying around. So that might be the it we're talking about in certain ways. And that, I mean, we could spend some time on, <laughs> you know, uh, but was were you getting exposed to uh, like astrology when you were a kid? A bit, yeah. So okay. astrology, most of all, through my uncle, who's you know continued to be uh, a great resource for me. You know, today with my dad, it was a lot of visions in terms of the experiences that he's had, some of the um, interactions and lessons learned that he had with different members of different indigenous communities, and um, a lot of stories of, of, you know, experiences lived that I just simply didn't believe. I'm like, you're full of shit. Oh, and, like wild tales. Of wild like a, tales. Yeah. Wild huh. tales. Do you, um, do you have one, uh, in the bank that maybe could sort of, sort of like show us how wild wild was like, you don't have to, uh, go too far into the vault, but yeah, sure. Um, I want to hear it. Yeah. Trying to run through a couple of them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. One of them that's grounded in reality. Um, is how uh, you know a chapter of the Hell's Angels stayed in his attic after they had taken over, I think, a police station in some nearby town and needed to hang low for a little while. Um, so they went to his house, and I'm like, "What? Why? Like, what is that?" Hmm. How does even he and was then, like the guy the Hell's Angels trusted to like hide them from the cops. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's an interesting yeah. identity. That's quite an that's quite an identity. Yeah, yeah, and 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 lots of lots of things like that. Um, all the way to you know, being, um, in 
college and going around on LSD and seeing which time. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> and then seeing these, um, is this him or is this him or you in college? Him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. 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 And All right. I'm with you. Go on. Seeing, seeing these men kind of harassing this woman on, on the spiritual plane and kind of seeing like they're sort of spirits kind of attacking her in this certain way in a non-physical aspect. Sure. Uh, and then he had this in the spiritual plane, this ally, this dragon that would kind of swirl around him and, and be with him. And he sent that. Oh, like a protector, protector. To protect her. Yep. Yeah. And, and um, it dispelled the energy. And then the men walked away. Oh, and, man. Um, after that happened, um, she walked up to him and thanked him for that. She, she knew what he had done. Damn. Um, and um, she was herself, um, you know, she was, she was a Native American woman and she was very tapped into the spiritual plane. Um, and that was a story that he told me when I was very young. And oh, I, so you had that like bouncing around in your head, like that, that's, my, that's what life includes? Yeah, exactly. You know, you're like, it gets to be like that, huh? Okay. And there was, there was nothing in... Sorry to interrupt you, but you were my introduction to thinking that way. Right. And that wasn't until we were like probably 14 or 15. So you've right. got this, you've got this pretty young. Yeah. Still pretty, still pretty young to be going down uh, some crazy roads, but like, so you got this when you were like six, seven, eight, like turning into a little person. Totally. totally. And okay. I had so it's in your, it's in your bones, it's in your bones. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so, you know, as I went through that little rebellion phase, I started to review all of these stories and um, take my education from the external world and where I was learning about critical thinking. And I was like, there's, there's no way that story is real. That doesn't make any sense logically. Like the, you know, what are the, what are the physics at work here? Yeah. And it's funny as I've entered my thirties, I've now discovered through my own direct experience, how that story could be real. And yeah. So interesting kind of, um, oh. well, Saturn return, which is an astrological um, idea actually where you revisit the makings of your childhood and check in with how are you doing on your sort of spiritual mission on this planet and when I reached my Saturn return that was when a lot of these stories came back and I had reapproached them with a new perspective and, and realized that I had shelved some things that actually had tremendous value and, and his his spirit mm -hmm. has continued to be this amazing um, presence in that regard in terms of how much he filled up in my childhood that were all of these disparate magical keys that yeah. oh, I see. to be unlocked later in life. They were like clues. Mm -hmm. Dude. So, okay. So there we go. You see the path from being a impressionable kid who was, you heard these great stories from your dad. It really got into you, of course, as I would only hope because otherwise I'd be really worried about you if you just didn't care about any of that when you were a kid. Like, of course, you're like, what? <laughs> you know, you're like, wait, what did you do? What? Um, but uh, so it, you had it naturally, like kind of without choice. And then you, you went through like a proper um, oppositional skepticism. Like you challenged your beliefs, like knowingly. You, you got to that age where you hear people telling you enough times to think critically and you're like, for a while, you're like, okay, what? I don't, what, what? But then you're like, oh, that just means like, maybe I'm wrong, like every time. 
Like I might be wrong. You just have to factor that into your like thinking or this might be wrong or this might be kind of right, but it's, you know, it's shaky. Like it's, it's a world of uncertainty once you start thinking critically. Like that's just, that's why it's so tough, I think. Uh, yeah. But you did that. And then you came out the other side back on the other, I don't want to say, no, not end of the spectrum, but you chain kind of transformed back into someone who embraced their, embraced the spiritual part of life. Is that fair to say? It is. Yeah. Okay. I, I first learned that a world full of facts is devoid of meaning. Do you know and- who Michael Shermer is? No. Okay. I don't know. He's like a noted skeptic and he's just a total, uh, Oh yeah. He's the, the guy with the beard who like, uh, psychics up to the test. No, no, that's wait. he might, I don't know. He might be, I've only seen him once or twice. I don't, I don't remember him having a beard, but yeah, the pro skeptics, they get their bummers, dude. If you're a professional skeptic, that's a bummer life. That's all I want to say. Seems <laughs> Randy is who I'm thinking of. Randy dude. Yeah. The amazing Randy. No, that's an actual magician. James Randy, not the amazing Randy. People at home right now are like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Listen, uh, if you have an answer to one of our questions that we missed, just email the show at backintheconversation at gmail.com. That is real. Send me a, send me a question. Send me a note. Send me whatever you want. Uh, but uh, maybe not whatever you want. Try to be, try to be, try to be decent. Okay. Uh, so where were we here? Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. So now, people, you know who I am. I had a, a brief, intense uh, dalliance with uh, numerology that has worked its way into my fibers. Uh, and Will has had a lifelong journey with accepting the irrational as a necessary part of life. Something like that? Yeah, beautiful. So now what? <laughs> what, what how are we going to help these people? What do we do? Like, well, I think we're in an interesting time right now where the facts don't matter in terms of outcomes. This has been uh, the problem for a few years or an issue for a few years. Yep. So you're left trying to figure out what to do about it. And what I've turned to is working with meaning, working with story. And so in the post-truth world, you have to have a toolkit for finding your way through the chaos. And there are completely opposing stories with completely opposing facts. And yeah. it's the case, um, you've got to really look at your feelings. And everybody's feelings are really important. And that's exactly why people need to be very aware of where their feelings come from. Someone I really like uh, said, your mood is all that really matters. Because mm-hmm. it's, it's what you're operating from at all times. Mm-hmm. How's that? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's, um, I've seen some things about life is, you know, 90% how you react to things, right? Yeah. The, so, yep. That, there's many people who think that, especially like the, uh, the cognitive behavior therapists, like uh, CBT, which is kind of go-to first-line therapy these days. Um, it is just managing response. Yeah. It's like a ABC. You just practice it. And it seems incomplete, like you were getting at. like everything is right and everything is wrong like all the time. And I think that recently with deconstruction of our modern world, I've had a couple of foundational breakthroughs that have informed a more entrenched position in the mystical. Okay. Wait, does that, that sounds to me like pragmatic tips for the listener. You got something? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Give me something concrete that people can try now. 
trace the sources of their feelings and ideas. Okay. How do you do that? Do you maybe write it in a notebook or do you just think about it? Well, a lot of people are just tweeting whatever they think. Oh, that's an intense way to go about uh, uh, honest self-observation. So they're already tweet that shit out. Yeah. I mean, I used to do it when I was young. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Put it in a notebook first. Yeah. I advise Um, that strongly as a person who doesn't like being embarrassed, but but is sometimes. Part (laughs) part of the issue is that people aren't putting it in a notebook first. They're just putting it on the internet and and not thinking about where they they got this idea um like where the and the idea packaged with the feeling that sometimes yeah, it yeah. can have yeah. a great little kind of culture jamming idea that i got from somebody that was um playing with different sort of uh ridiculous product names is they they came up with a product who told you that was butter <laughs> did you just say culture jamming yeah i wrote that down um. <laughs> so so with something like you know, everything that's happening this week, there are a million yes. different angles on every single protest or riot, whatever you want to even call it, mm-hmm. right? So language is important. And when you are writing out what is happening in a journal or in a Facebook post or in a tweet, look at every single word and idea and trace who and where that idea came from. Nice. I like it. I like it. Carl Jung said, uh, ideas have people rather than the other way around. Yep. So you can take that for what it is. But um, this examination, I think you're dead on the money because it takes you out of the reactive uh, sort of like churn of social media. Sometimes you get into the scroll suck and then it's just like, boom, 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 boom. All these packaged opinions with their packaged feelings coming at you like left and right. And you're like being bombarded. You know, really that can be tough. It's really important to decouple your identity from your ideas. Yeah. Well, yep. That too. That takes time because you're, you're born into like a set of values from your community and family. And then you grow up and it's like, maybe there's a mismatch, you know, mm-hmm. that can happen. Yeah. That's a whole, that's a whole the thing. Media yeah. has really turned things into like the age of proclamations. And then if you right. make a proclamation, it's like you have to die on that hill because you said it on Twitter five years ago. Sure. And yeah. Allowed to grow past it. So, you know, decoup- I try everything that I can to express myself without boxing myself into an identity based on the ideas that I'm expressing. And that is one version of intellectual rigor that I carry with me that is in that middle path between skepticism and embrace of information. Sure. So it's sort of your, it's, it's, a, it's a tool you have to be able to think so deeply into both sides is that you're at this idea of decoupling your identity from your ideas. So yeah. that means like your ideas are impersonal to you. So you're way more free to change them and like swap out a new one for an old one because you learn more about something and then your view changes, you know, but your identity, you want to be able to maintain like intact and vulnerable to the ideas. Of course they're related because to a certain degree, people kind of are their ideas, you know? Right. Like I said a that's, great idea. Like I love uh, grapes, you know, <laughs> you see a the, bunch of grapes, you know, that's what but, the uh, academic Richard Dawkins definition of a meme is. Yeah. The meme is the functional idea that like goes around and gets people to say this and that and do this and that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, it's like the, if anyone isn't uh, familiar with this uh, Richard Dawkins meme, 
idea. Um, everyone knows what a meme is, but you know, one of those, it's one of those words where it kind of matters, like where it came from and who coined it and like what it really means, like purely because it helps you understand the bigger picture. So a meme is uh, like a, um, uh, like a gene that's, it's, you know, a gene will sort of mutate over time and create new things and evolve. So meme gene meme is like the, um, communication version of a gene. It's like an idea that will change over time and mutate and all that stuff. So I don't know if that's like the most hardcore concrete definition, but I heard that once and I was like, that makes a ton of sense to me. So that's great. Um, I think that's a good definition. And yeah. Like good enough. Um, so something yeah. I've, I've noticed from taking a, a continuous close eye on the, you know, uh, the new age community. Um, yeah, baby. The hippie dumb hip. Can we say that hippie dumb and new age are the same thing? Is that to simplify it? Do you think that's fair? Because we kind uh, of introduced before we had hippie dumb versus skepticism, and I liked that a lot. There, there's there's overlap. Um, okay. I I like using hippie dumb because it's such a it's such a friendly um, idea. And um, is this like a Grateful Dead on the money hippie dumb? Well, that's the thing. So, like the, the reference point carry a lot of baggage, but like it's 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 definitely it's um, always it's beyond that. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah, it's, sorry, it's, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Andrew, clipping a little bit, or you're uh, chopping out. Hang on, I, I got you, I got you. I me, got you, people. Hang on, everyone. You are back in the conversation with your host, Alex Gaynor, and I'm here with Will Katie, and we are explaining the shit. Please go ahead. Please go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> the, the term new age has uh, a, some self-importance to it that the word hippie doesn't. That's why I love I it. I agree completely. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, so like, yeah, go ahead. In the 1930s, there was a pretty big swath of new ideas that were really coming out. Um, theosophy had kind of mixed in with occult magic. And okay. Then, Hang on. So give, me a quick, uh, give me a quick definition of theosophy so people can yeah. play along. Yeah. Theosophy really was launched by a woman named Madame Blavatsky. Okay. And I've the, heard that name. The 1800s. And it was... I mean, etymologically, it's like the, the, well, oh, a word that you're good. It's, it's a word that anticipated metaphysics. Okay. And so it's really about exploring the structures of reality and how to work with it in a personal ascension and ceremonial magic kind of way. Okay. Okay, good. So and that intent, that's uh, like the occult, like uh, related to it, but not the same thing. Yeah. Hang on, dude. You know what I'm doing? Remember I told you the rules of uh, back in the conversation or when you're not sure of something, you stop and look it up. So here yeah. I got the definition with uh, this Blavatsky lady just everywhere. So <laughs> I think you might have looked at this earlier today. I'm not sure though. <laughs> okay. What's so it's, it, Wikipedia says it's a religion established in the United States in the late 19th century. Uh, comes from her writings. So she is like the, the progenitor of this uh, new religious movement and part of the occult. Okay, here we go. Older European philosophies is Neoplatonism, which is like a update of classical Greek philosophy. Okay, okay. And Asian religions such as Hinduism and Buddhism. So it really is like that far reaching, uh, let's try to incorporate everything sort of mindset which really, of course, like you said, has to reach into all of reality and sort of spread its tentacles everywhere. 
the, the key oh, okay. religions at that time was that there was this empowerment towards self-realization that in the Western yeah. religions, it was all about access to the divine through the church. It right. had to be mediated access to the sacred. Whereas the Eastern religions are like, here's a practice to achieve these different states and ascend your soul to the next plane. Right. And at that time, people were like, oh shit, that sounds really enticing. I want to do some of that is at the core what is propelling the new age movement right is this idea of personal self-realization and ascension and divine experience outside the structures of a church yeah gotcha so that sort of mirrors the um like humanistic movement of the enlightenment where as a species we just decided a lot of us decided uh we don't need god as the final like uh, prize at the end like it's enough to be a person and you just like build yourself out and try to have a good life without needing the external reinforcement. Right. And it's like yeah. at the, that Nietzsche was saying God was dead. The ego of man was being yep. born. It's That's what he meant. Yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people hear that quote and they see that as like Nietzsche celebrating the death of God, but he was mourning it. That's an important distinction. He was because yeah. now we, we lost like our, our uh, belief, like uh, infrastructure. At yep. that time. So we've been trying to figure it out since which is what exactly what we're talking about. Like where, what is the, there's no, obviously there's no one right answer. I don't think we're even going to bother with that. This is a dumb question. Um, that's like the uh, puzzle of consciousness, which I find so stupid and boring because everyone's like, where, <laughs> where does, what is consciousness? It's like, what are you going to do with that? Like what, I mean, it might be cool, but like we have so much going on, like yeah. do something else, you know, like no one knows. It's not worth finding out. So uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to jump forward very briefly, but then we're going to dig in back from that. I've been taking notes. I got you. Yep. Because the jump back is going to take us to the root of the, the astrology question here. Yeah. We're setting it up to get, yeah. So jumping forward from theosophy and Blavatsky in about the 1930s, you had the advent of relativity and quantum physics from. Yeah, baby, you sure did. That shit was nuts. Yeah. Yeah. And so a lot of the movements of that time, Everything from uh, the Urantia book to the Ascended Masters to Scientology to the Self-Realization Fellowship. Um, even uh, there was a, some, a Jesuit priest named Pierre Telhard de Chardin who rectified evolution with, um, with, with theology. All of those different spiritual movements were informed by the insights that came through with quantum theory. They were able oh, to look what? down a little bit closer, yeah. And we can jump into that later, but... Ah, my head. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I actually... Happened, let's go. What's yeah. happened in the latter half of the century and is really reaching a crescendo right now is spirituality is informed by the advent of DNA in our science. And... Oops. ...cases, science opens up new terrain... In these new cases, science opens up new terrain, and then spirituality explores the meaning of those terrains. In okay, terms, yeah. What can we do to learn about ourselves and our individual experience with that? Right. Super interesting stuff. And it's kind of coming back to this place because the terrain that science is playing in is so fucking wild that meaning becomes a part of the fact-finding mission. But nice. Oh, quick, back, um, pause real quick. Uh, mm-hmm. For anyone who wants to know more about that, the newest Scientific American is like a primer on this stuff. I just saw it in, at the store the other day and picked one up. And I don't know much about, like, you know more, way more about this than I do. 
but it's good to know the basics of this stuff because it's leaking into the kind of like a uh, greater consciousness. And it's just like, it's like a, would you rather understand how Bitcoin works or not? You know, would you rather understand how particle physics works or not? Cause it's not that the summary is not out of control. Like you can, yeah. you can put it in your brain. Um, but the newest scientific American might be a good place to start if you uh, care about that, uh, which I do. So I bought one, but, uh, okay, wait, wait. Okay. 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 And you know, I think that, that, idea, <laughs> that notion of diving in and you know, that you want to stop and search things and the way that you and I always enjoy our conversations. Um, I think it's something that is distinctly characteristic of, of, of us and, and a lot of, you know, the people that we roll with, but maybe it's even generational in terms of millennials. But, um, I'm not satisfied taking things at face value. I want to dig, I want to go down the rabbit holes and see where they came from because that becomes a more enriching experience. Whereas I found that the hippies, quote unquote, or my parents and how I experienced them, the, 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 the boomer spiritual mindset was, um, they didn't necessarily, at least as I was exposed to it, need to dig into the facts and the mechanics of these ideas. They could be exposed to something and be like, oh, that's cool, done. That's enough. Right? Mm -hmm. That's enough. That's enough. Yeah. And so I think that that really defined a lot of like the new age movement in the nineties when it started to get some, some muscle and some heft in culture. Um, but what really dispelled a lot of that was, was cults, cultism, because mm. those bad actors were able to prey upon the lack of inquisitiveness of a lot of people in that right. generation that would just be, given some sort of promise sure. of something interesting and it mystical. Right, it comes right back to the one question we're asking here, which is uh, where do you find your meaning? Yeah. So you had cult exactly. leaders, you had cult leaders emerge. So let me, let's, let's, let me, let me, let me run this through my brain. So I get it. In this time, you have a really big like energy coming through. That's like just broadening everything. And it's all these new interconnected ways of thinking. And uh, as the century goes on, you have really bright, wise, cunning, like cult leaders emerge and they kind of clarify it all for people and give them like a model and like, a uh, you know, the aliens are going to come for us. Or, uh, if you hang out with me, you'll have like superpowers. Like that was one that's the Castaneda cult was all this, uh, sorcery witchcraft thing, you know? Uh, and he was a real guy and had a real cult and got in real trouble, you know? Um, that shit I believe happened. At least I read about it on the internet. Uh, but even that kind of mirrors like the uh, religious model where you have like a preacher or like um, a prophet saying like, I got the answers. And then since it's so hard to be constantly battling with these like uh, existential, even metaphysical questions, if you think that way, to have someone who's like, will kind of walk you through it and take your hand. It's very enticing. People are very susceptible to having a clarified ordered life, like given to, you know, like, Yep. So many, there's so many things you could name. Like if somebody came to you tomorrow and said, uh, Hey, listen, uh, we want you to come, uh, do, uh, like some political analysis for our, uh, like CNN. They just found you out of nowhere. And they were like, we're going to fly you to New York and give you an apartment. And, uh, you just connect with us three times a week and try to keep up with the news and we'll pay you a shit ton. Like if somebody just handed you that, you'd be like, Oh my God, that answers all my questions. I would go in a heartbeat or if you're a Republican, you might go to Fox news or somewhere else, you know, whatever. Um, so that's like a financial material version of what we're talking about, where it's just sort of like, here are the little, here are the answers to your problems in life. Yeah. Sure. By that's joining, by joining this team, you know, you will not have to think about it tomorrow because you'll wake up and it'll be done for you. Like it's set up. 
And that's important in terms of making the overgeneralization, which I am about the characterization of millennials versus baby boomers. But for our yeah. form, I want to get into that. I want to get into that too. Okay. Like definitely. Yeah. For, for our formative years, you know, the answers that were given to us completely screwed us over. Yes. And dude. I was just, yep, yep, yep. Go ahead. So that, go that ahead. really, you know, was <laughs> a big part of my experience growing up. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I learned, we were told, well, we were told for anyone, maybe a Gen Xer who's hearing this, who doesn't give a shit about these two generations is squabbling back and forth. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not true. I think the generational thing is like, everyone's born at a constant rate. So to have this generational identity applied is so unfair, but it's really helpful and you, you have to use it. It's a useful frame. But it's too it's, useful not to use, but yeah, yeah, it's not reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, anyways. But, uh, like, yeah, they told us it was going to, we were just go to college and everything will be fine and follow your dreams pretty much. Yeah. It's a good uh, succinct version of what we heard over and over. Go to college and everything will be fine. Follow your dreams. And this has been hashed out in the news a million times over since 2008. But we are those people who heard that message. We're both 30. You just turned 34, right? I'm 33. Yeah. 34. Is that an indelicate question? No, yep. you're good. No, it's not. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, like in terms of like the student loan aspect of things, that was like us being manipulated into yeah. Up for indentured servitude to just go to college and everything will be okay. First, uh, here's a huge loan with terrible interest. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. You can't get out of with bankruptcy, and that that was signing us up for indentured servitude to the system that is currently shattered and burning in the streets. I think that's a fair way to put it at this point. Mm -hmm. I think that's fair. So you know that's why what's really coming through right now on every level is a notion of radical self reliance the end of the day really is, is, you know, as the system is being challenged, what's on the other side of it is hmm. we have to take care of ourselves. I have way. a, actually, I have a contention with that because I okay. think you're right, but I think that that's wrong because I have been, uh, on a strong kick of, um, like, uh, going outside of the self to be with others and not, not like dissolving the self, but focusing more on uh, uh, like, m- like social, moral, uh, intellectual connection and contribution rather than career and self-reliance and taking care of yourself. Because I think we're with each other on that. And yeah, think- yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to say that you aren't on that jam. I'm just, uh, mm-hmm. I should tell, yeah, well, well this actually was because of uh, my hyperacusis. So for new listeners, uh, which are probably a lot of you because it's the first show. Um, I have a, a disability called hyperacusis. I blew my ears out working on music and now sound bothers me like a bad allergy. So imagine you have an allergy to light, uh, or sound, I guess, and then take it from there. So I have a lot of earplugs and stuff lying around and I got to be careful. Uh, but I had to stop my, I quit my life and just do nothing and heal for a while. Um, so I, I was in a real pit, uh, because all of my, I was working on a record. I'm a songwriter. And I was producing all these demos and my next plan was to bring them out into the world and uh, set a band up and play some shows. And, you know, every, they need people to get up there and take a swing at things. And I had some songs for the world. So I was trying to do that. Uh, and then one day, poof, it was gone. Long story short, I had to move back in with my parents and figure out what to do next. Uh, so at that time, I had to really let go of my self-reliance and my building of myself because I was helpless. Uh, the first eight months of it were like recovering from like a really severe concussion. I had serious cognitive issues. I was sleeping like 15 hours a day. 
Uh, I was just mostly sitting, like staring at things and trying to play video games and stuff, like just hoping I'd get better and doing like a sound therapy, a little like starting to figure that out. It was terrifying. Dude. This is the most harrowing experience of my life. And you all watched me almost get beaten to death once. This was like way worse. So this is where my sort of swing around, um, like building my identity uh, in a not material, but like, I guess, professional uh, kind of accomplishment oriented, uh, self-reliant way. Cause I was helpless. This is the point I'm trying to make. I just had to explain how far down this, this path of like, what is life about? I was pushed all at once. Um, cause I was completely reliant on my parents all of a sudden, just like that was like a baby. Uh, and then that gets you thinking, like, I don't know if I can ever do what I was doing again. Uh, I started this podcast partially because I can't, uh, produce music anymore because I can listen to like uh, 20 minutes before I just have to turn it off because it just wears on me pretty much anything. Um, I can stretch it out if it's soft. I do some like slow, mellow blues jams. I'm still playing guitar every day. I still like have it. I'm like, uh, I'm doing this shit. I'm writing new songs too, but I can't turn it up past three. So I don't know what the fuck to do. <laughs> I'm lost in this netherworld of badness. So people don't turn your shit up too loud. It doesn't need to be that loud. Just calm down. Don't ruin it for yourself. You get one shot at this. Okay, so that said, um, I had to really rethink my life. Uh, and so what I decided to do was embrace what I could do, which was like sit and read and write and talk. And then I said, how can I make a living doing that? I have an undergraduate uh, psychology degree. And I said, well, I can be a therapist. I can sit in a room and talk. So that complete, like that decision, my identity shifted from a rock star the most egotistical look at me kind of thing. And I knew it and I was like writing about it. And I, I wasn't, I wasn't Axel Rose out here. Like I knew what I was doing. Uh, it went from that to, okay, now I'm uh, in the chair asking you about your childhood and how you feel and stuff like that. So it went from being really self-oriented, all my ideas all the time to being completely other oriented, like taking in other people's ideas and trauma and sadness and, and problems all day, all day, all the time. And I'm just in school. I haven't even started doing this even like part-time. I've never sat in a session and charged money for this. Um, in my, uh, I just finished up my first year of uh, grad school. I guess I'm in the summer semester. Um, but it just swung me completely from thinking about what do I have to get done today to like, what do I have to do to be ready to help other people with their needs? So it's like, and what I'm trying to say is I think that's good. Like, I think I would have wanted to get there eventually. And I think it, it, it for me, it was forced. Uh, this actually lines up with a lot of um, psychological models. Like you ever heard of uh, Eric Erickson? Is that a name, you know, or Piaget? Piaget, maybe he's pretty famous. Okay. Eric, I think so, but not Piaget. Okay. 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 Most of these psych guys are only famous in psych. They're like real famous in psych, but then outside people only like Freud, Jung, they know Jordan Peterson now who is honestly like not too far from that level, um, in my opinion, despite the criticisms, which I think are misguided. But I'll get into that in my own episode. I got something lined up for that. Um, <laughs> don't worry. I also vote Democrat, just full disclosure. Don't hate me. I don't know. What is life these days? I have to protect, cover my ass. Ideas from your identity. Yeah. yeah, what's that? You're decoupling your ideas from your identity. You betcha, you betcha, you betcha. Uh, you got to do it, people, or else you don't know what the fuck you think. You got to learn yourself, you know? You got to do that. Um, but all the psychological models of development in your like forties and fifties and sixties, it turns from building your own life. 
because then, you know, on the, on the path, you have kids and then that does it for you. Right. So, uh, or, or you just get to the age where, you know, you have to give back. And then maybe that kind of pulls you into some, like your mindset is, uh, the, like the opposite of self-reliance. It's like other assurance, like mm-hmm. other protection. Mm-hmm. And that in itself, uh, from what I've read in all these very optimistic books appears to be a way to be self-reliant. Like, how could you feel bad inside if like you are doing work for other people all day, every day. So I think as a culture right now, we're really, I think, I think we're really caught in this self-reliant mindset because that's what we heard growing up. Like do your thing, do your thing, do your thing. And I think we're all sort of like, I think I actually, I think that might be part of what's missing from the meaning equation. And I, I, everybody loves to say like, you know, it's good to connect with your friends and like, uh, you know, catch up with people and blah. And like, I went on zoom like once in the, like, the quarantine. So now I'm like spiritually healed, but like, you gotta work at that shit. Like you have to think about it. You have to, you have to be the one to ping the guy and say, what's up, what's going on. Like, yeah. don't let it slip. Cause like the days go by and you don't know what's going to happen. And I don't want to accuse our generation of being like too self-centered to do that. But I think we've sort of been set up to be that way. Like, we grow up, and I know I'm ranting, but like we grow up, do your thing, do your thing, do your thing, go to college, it's all going to be there for you, your house will be there waiting for you, um, and the money's fine, don't worry, go, 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 take the loan, do your thing, uh, be you, because it worked for us, you know, and then uh, we all grow up and that's all we know how to do. So we haven't been like trained to uh, work as a community nearly as much as like maybe other generations or other places in the world. And then we all have our phones and our rooms. So that, that's a whole thing too. Like the, the combination of the attitude and the environment, I think is leaving a lot of people alone, hunched over their phones, scrolling through social media, like worrying about their life, like way too often. I, I just think that's like an anxiety, stress, factor, you know, like mm-hmm. I never feel good after I do that. Mm-hmm. Like I just, lo- I just didn't have a cell phone for a week. It, uh, the charger port didn't charge anymore. My battery ran out. So I was just like, okay, time to buy a new phone. And I did. So no phone for a week. And dude, I felt great. Like it was, seriously, seriously, within, I don't know, a day and a half, I stopped uh, ghost checking my pocket and it was like, I was 15 again, dude. Like in a good, in, in the sense of, I was just doing, I was living my, I was, dude, I started a fucking podcast in a week. Like I didn't have any of this shit set up a week ago, but it was all in my head. You know, like I had ideas. I have 30 episodes that I'm ready to do. Well, that I'm going to do. I'm not ready yet. I have a shit ton of reading to do. Um, but, uh, that came like that happened the week I didn't have my phone. I started four books. Um, it's just been a great, like my mind feels right and I don't feel a crunch. So, um, and we'll get back to the, uh, the meaning, you know, culture, team, community thing, but another pro practical tip. So we had one before, which was trace your feelings. So look at yourself, acknowledge how you feel. The tough part is, uh, being critical, like self-critical about how you feel. Like I used to have uh, really bad anger issues that I couldn't help. And I still do a little bit. A lot of people do, but I, I, that was the first thing that came up when I started doing this, uh, kind of journaling, self-observation, like emotional cataloging. There's a lot of different forms. I picked up a really wacky mystical one, uh, that I want to share with you guys, but, uh, I have an episode for that too, but I can reach it. It's somewhere. Look, fucking, you get the idea. We're on this thing. So I started journaling and I was just like, wow, I'm always angry. I'm just always angry and like annoyed by things just like all the time. 
And once I caught that, that's when like the shift starts happening. Cause you just think about what, what is, what am I doing here? Why am I, this isn't good. Like what's yeah. causing this? Is it me? Is it my environment? Is it something else? Like and you work it out. Um, so practical, pragmatic take home tip one. If you aren't, if you aren't journaling and actually legitimately cataloging what you think and how you feel, go right ahead and do that. And you will thank yourself over and over and over and over and over. Like, I don't know a more valuable tool for kind of self-development. So that's what I think about that. And then the other one is uh, proactively work in your social network so that you, you have those, uh, like you're firing those connections between your people. Like stay up to date, like be in their lives. That's yeah, my I other one. Is, is community reliance is yeah. a better thought than self-reliance. Yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, I think we might need an idea like that to really go. And I, it, also that it kind of does in the far left politically, like obviously like inherently in communism and socialism, you're relying on each other. That's like the idea, but it's not, it's not about, it's not about that. It's just about in the moment, like socialization. It's not about like a, who works where and like what the laws are and stuff. This is just an attitude. This is just a, a like a, an attitude. So that, I don't know that that has been breaking through to me kind of on per like without my, without my asking. And it just keeps coming into my life. And the more I embrace it, it's, dude, it's, it's surprisingly hard for me. Cause I mean, like I've just, I think I just talked for like 14 minutes straight, you know, I'm like a pretty self-occupied person. You know what I mean? Like I can just be here doing my thing. And you've, you've known me. I've always been like that. Um, <laughs> So it's like not like I, I, I've never been a person who consciously manages their like friendships until this last couple of years. Yeah, well, same. This, this hit me. And then I was like, yeah, dude, I, if I don't have my people, I'm not like, I'm, I'm really nothing. Like I, I already thought that's what saved me from being nothing. My yeah. relationships with people do like, yeah, straight up. I'm starting to learn there's a difference between being liked and making people feel good. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, being liked is like a little performative and we all know what that looks like, you know, but well, being, making people feel good means that you have to put in some effort to mm -hmm. like be, because you have to genuinely ask them what's up and then be ready to care. <laughs> you know? like, like, and so you don't have to fake this. I'm not telling people to like pretend to be uh, best friends with everyone they've ever met all the time, but I bet you anybody listening, a name or two comes to mind of somebody where you're like, man, we should really catch up because that's just, that would like, uh, uncork some bottleneck in, in my life and that would be good that mm. kind of thing you know nice see what comes to mind okay uh so community reliance that's not a bad idea it's not a bad idea i think we're headed there you know uh, yeah in terms of uh <sighs> the isolation of quarantine is now like piece by piece you know, at least out here in LA, it's like we're starting to all create our like new MySpace eight in a way. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Right. Homepage. Who is our little grouping of people that we're going to um, feel comfortable seeing and sure. spending time with um, and, and trusting that they have, you know, gone through quarantine measures that we're each comfortable with. And what we're living through is the piece by piece identification and recreation of what our communities are. And um, as society continues to deconstruct itself around us, I think things like community gardens are going to become really important. I hope right? so. That sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. 
right now my building. Um, we're in the middle of downtown LA and I've got some, some friends here in the building. And now we have a more intimate connection because we don't know what's going to happen to the streets around us this week. And, um, that's a new bond, right? We are, uh, kind of co-sheltering in, in this way with the uncertainty of, of the chaos around us. And that's a new element that is yeah. maybe the next layer of well, that. It's scary because it's like you have to, it's a brand new threat to like the ability to trust people. Mm-hmm. You have to like factor that in. So, but, but it's this, this time right now is like, I, I, I can barely wait to get into the future to look back on it. Yeah. Because I just feel like things are going to come out of it. Do you want to do some quick hitters of uh, predictions? Like, what do you think will change? Like, I kind of think this Zoom shit is around, like, going to be around for a while. I think people are going to keep doing this. Like, I, I hope so anyway, because I think it's a great vehicle for uh, social connection. Like, yeah. it's, it's not anything, like, in person, of course. I think in the short term, the Zoom overlay is going to stay with things. Mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. An hour, Howard, sort of like... <laughs> We'll probably do like an hour, half hour, like Zoom time at bridal showers or weddings or whatnot for folks that oh, came yeah. from out of town. I think that you'll see more of that. I could see that. I think dance clubs and bars will have like digital parties projected on screens that they can kind of like connect through the world via webcam. They'll have, you know, the music industry will find a way to make plenty of money off of DJs. Yeah, where are all the shows? Are people doing shows? I feel Online. like now's the time. Yeah, online. Yeah, the, I think it's gonna. Yeah. Like, wait, have you have you seen anything? Has anyone significant like done a show? I haven't really been. Did you see that? Yeah, uh, there's been plenty. Um, yeah, they've just been yeah, doing them, right? Of all types. Yep. Are they just like at home connecting? Yeah, basically. Okay. Okay. Huh. Yep. Well, I'm yeah. so tuned out. <laughs> also, the, I think the big sort of um, watershed moments is that you know Burning Man is going digital this year, and they're calling it the most. Oh, so I didn't know that. That's going to happen at a time when I think for the most part, people have kind of come back a little bit online by the time we get to August. And so burning camp, there is a warehouse in some city that they're doing the thing year round. And then each of those warehouses are going to be their own kind of nodes in the network of the burning man multiverse. And they're all going to be connected by these screens that are going to be projected on walls in them. And when you step into one of these warehouses, they're going to make art out of your ability to kind of phase into others. Um, and, and it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. And I think it's going to stick with us. And so, yes, you might be entering a warehouse, you know, um, Wait, hang on. you got to back up here. I'm a guy who never goes anywhere. Explain okay. what is happening here. It's a warehouse. Like it's like a warehouse concert, but it's on fire. What, where's the fire? Yeah. So you, you see a lot of these near like assembly square in, Oh, hang on, you're breaking up. Bar, um, the bar at the end of the world. Like that that area around Somerville. I might be cutting out here. I, I missed it. a little bit, but yeah. Um, I think I'm back now. Um, yeah. yeah, so that area, that, that's a part of the city. Anywhere that you have these like or commercial districts, um, where I am in Los Angeles, the arts district is very much a spot in LA. Austin has a ton of this. San Francisco has a ton of this. So people go to Burning Man and then they set up these ridiculous camps um, Mm -hmm. with all kinds of like lavish. Yeah. Like crazy people you see the pictures of and they dress like uh, all crazy. 
Yep. And everyone's like on drugs all the time. Yep. And it's just wild. Yeah. But they have okay. to- so they're gonna do that, but like in little pockets and like and like uh, have a telecommunication sort of theme. Well, That's they have to, they have to fundraise year round, and they've always had to fundraise year round in order to make these camps come to life. And the way that they fundraise is the nuclei of those camps live in warehouses together and they have parties year round. Oh, okay. Oh, that's just always happening? Always happening. And yep. then once a year the the world like uh comes to to do it for a while and then pieces out? Yep. So like the understanding of most I did not know that. Of most warehouse parties that I've been to has been that this is a Burning Man camp fundraiser. So Okay, okay. Okay. So now feel, I okay. You feel a little bit all, it's just like the little minions of Burning Man. <laughs> Building <laughs> Burning Man. Yeah. Octopus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so that's, but that's going down in August, huh? They're like going through with that. So it's going to be digital. And what's yeah. going to happen is basically party in place. <laughs> it's a, yeah. yeah. Um, they're going to party in place and they're mm-hmm. going to do it in their warehouses. But I think by the time August comes around, if we're already kind of globbing together in groups of like five to 10, then I think in August we'll be a little bit comfortable. Maybe. Yeah. At least in the I'm, underground, you know, I'm week to week. I'm week to week. It's, it's softening up quickly, though. I think people are just so fucking sick of it. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's crazy. It's unnatural. You for, I forget. I've gone out for walks twice this week without a mask. I just forgot. And then yeah. I was just like, whatever. So, sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Are, do you go to these things? Have you ever been to a uh, Burning Man? I've never been to Burning Man. No. Yeah, yeah, me neither. Me neither. I'm on the outside looking in. I wonder yeah. if it's all it's cracked up to be. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure it's great. Yeah. It's one of those things that everybody says, you know, ain't what it used to be. And everything that I love that ain't what it used to be is still pretty great. So yeah. you are back in the conversation with your host, Alex Gaynor and Will Katie spitting the truth. It's okay to like things. It's okay to <laughs> like things. Even if other people think it's kind of dumb. Like, uh, like, uh, I liked early Nickelback. You can all go to hell. You know, I still <laughs> like it like four or five songs. I just really like them. They're good songs. There you know, bad copies of that same song. We are approaching the phase of unironic appreciation of Nickelback. Dude, I unironically liked Limp Biscuit, and I don't care who knows it. Those riffs are out of control, dude. That band was off the charts cool. Like, Les their Bor- sound was so dope. What? Les I mean, Borland, right? Yeah, Les Borland, yeah. I mean, the singer's attitude and personality, not my friend. Like, I'm not down with his whole vibe so much, but I like the guy underneath it once I read about him after the band, because he's just like, he can't help himself. He's Fred Durst. He can't help it. But like, the band rocked the fuck out. That's he puts on a hell of a jazz night in Los Angeles, actually. Does he? Does yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that. Become a jazz night curator. A center oh, of gravity wow. for LA's jazz scene. Nice. Instead of America's deadbeat, which he was for a while. <laughs> I bet you when he wrote all those lyrics and stuff, he just like cast it away from his being. And was like, I'm a new man now. Yeah, could he's, be. Out in, he's out in LA doing jazz. That's pretty dope. Yeah, man. Yeah, dude. Um, okay, cool. Well, let me think. I feel like we hit the important stuff that I wanted to get to pretty hard. Um, I well, feel we like got we just back in time from Blavatsky. We went forward. But yeah, we yeah. Let's try to like get back to this uh, historical thread we were on. So kind of in the 30s, 40s, that's, a, that's a, the time I know probably the least about of that century, I would say. But uh so that's where kind of the theosophy, occult spiritualism gets in. That's where, that's where it became metaphysics. Okay. Because it was inspired by physics. And theosophy came from um, 
well, really alchemy. And so oh, I know about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so chemistry, that, chemistry also came from alchemy, right? Like so actual chemistry. Yeah. Which is why, wait, yeah, sorry, I'm cutting you off. But like the reason that I want to talk about things like astrology in a open, serious, like a, uh, possibly a proving way is because historically, like astrology did come out of astronomy, which is a dead serious science that we like, if you can't be more like skeptic friendly than astronomy, it's like one of those like math. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's sort of the human layer of astronomy, like interpretation yeah. and wanting to predict events and things, but they came yeah. from the same seed, just like these two things came from the same seed. So I just want to point that out for anyone unaware. Yeah, exactly why it's important to, to trace these threads back here. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, if you look at the language of things, there, there's almost like a, a, a silly game that's being played with the terminology that's being created because, you know, the 1930s, it's like, well, physics, but what if it was meta, right? And then, and then with theosophy, it's like theology, but what if it was combined with philosophy, the, the right. love of knowledge, right? And that's really the effort that is taking place. It's, it's taking the dominant manners of thinking of the time and applying an overlay to them yeah. that is it's sort really, of like it's sort of like an emotional overlay in a way yeah for or sure like intuitive and emotional yeah absolutely yeah, yeah yeah so for before her were people like john d is a great one um Who's john d? john d is the reason we have a certain image that comes to mind when we think of wizards Okay. Okay. Like this, the robe with the stars. So I play, uh, you know, this game, you know, the game rocket league on uh, Xbox and video yeah. games and shit. So, uh, you drive a car around in a little arena and it's car soccer. You hit a ball into the goal. So you drive around and my car right now is decorated like a wizard. <laughs> I just really enjoyed the hat, the big hat with the yep. stars. Yeah. So well, you have there was like one, there was like one guy who like told the world that that's what wizards are like basically. It was, it was, it was, it was his whole look, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's hilarious. Dude. He like, but that was his actual, like, I'm going out today. Look, but like wizard. Wait, how do you spell it? J O H N E D E E two E's. That's what I thought. John D there he is, man, with the beard and everything. Hmm. Oh wait, you know what I know how to do now? For the advanced uh, podcast um, interactors out there, let's go ahead and here he is. Sorry, <laughs> so you don't get hyperacusis. There he is. There's the guy. Okay, now back to this. Hmm. Come on, Gainer, you got to drive the show. You got to drive the show. You did it. Okay, back to reality. Um, Okay. So he, okay, wait, so let's, let's, let's keep, let's keep the thing moving. So we're in, we're in the theology has become like an accepted part of like everyday conversation for some people. Yeah. There's a lot to John D and I don't think we need to get into it, but super fascinating life. Uh, I think the core of it is that he was really a, he was kind of like a court astrologer, a court alchemist um, for, for the Royal family in England, basically. Yeah. Like an appointed position. And right. he intermixes with the age of enlightenment. Okay. In the, this is in the late 1500s, by the way. 
this is this is like in the soup out of which yeah the enlightenment hat yeah and happened the split between chemistry and alchemy happened and the uh, mastery of this knowledge is facts and meaning refuse together basically in this one position that somebody like john d would have sure so a lot of the threads of of alchemy and occultism came from the response to the Roman Catholic Church seizing control of access to the sacred and the divine. Yeah. Right. Like he wanted to get to it without their help. Kind of so get to it went, the went underground, basically. And so a lot of like the witches um, and, 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 and all that um, were really of the people, of, of the populace, but the dynamic between the, the aristocrats, the, the ruling class um, and the church was that they would have basically their scientists that we would call now, but those scientists yeah. were informed by occult knowledge that was the very same foundation off of which a lot of the repressed pagan beliefs came from. So yeah. really uh, interesting levels of, um, you know, hypocrisy maybe, but the whole idea of occult, the word occult means veiled, it means hidden, mm-hmm. uh, means obfuscated from, from view. And so when it came to making decisions, matters of states, uh, the, the, the court astrologers would advise them on many, many, many different things. And they'd also do divination for yeah. them where they would access, directly convene with, you know, sort of sacred threads the way that like the Oracle of Delphi did, but that the church deems like wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Right. To make, to make decisions. And so in the, in the yeah. level, in the domain of astrology, they would basically look at the birth date of the king or queen as a proxy for the astrology of the kingdom. Right. So, okay, wait. So there, that is it. That is the leap of faith of astrology, where like you start from this idea that there's a significance to when you were born. So that I think is like, that's almost like the, like the revelation. Like if you're, one of the things that really determines if you're religious or not is if you believe in revelation, like actual word of God. And also I think the resurrection is like a kind of, you know, you're on one side or the other sort of thing. And for, this, for, for me with a, like astrology or numerology or any of these, you just sort of accept that there is like implicit meaning in your birth date or the sign and everything connected to it. So that's like, just wanna point, I just want to point that out. It's sort of like, yeah, you, yep, we're like, you have to just go with that. And that's, that's where you can either buy it or not. I wouldn't say foundational proposition of astrology. Um, Maybe the second, the foundational one would be that the movement of cosmic bodies has meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess, right, there, the meaning that you have is like attached to the meaning of the position of everything. When, yeah. And then if that's the, the that's what yep. of the cosmic bodies have meaning, it would follow that the moment of your birth would be impacted by that meaning. Right. Which I, in a compelling uh, opening chapter to my numerology book, the guy explained why that's true. And I, I would have to reread it because I haven't seen it in a while. But he basically, I think the message is we are in this giant cosmic 
you know, stew the universe with all this crazy quasars and stuff, unless you happen to be a space is fake conspiracy theorist, which I found out is a real group of people. Space is fake. They just CGI space is fake. I don't know where you go from there, but that's what some people think these days. But um, I don't, I think space is real. I'm a space truther or a whatever untruther. I don't know. But uh, like the idea is being you're so small in this massive functional thing that of course it is meaningful. Like See, I encounter an idea like space is fake, and I'm like, tell me more. I got oh, it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know that it goes a lot deeper than that, but I think people are just saying like NASA, I think it kind of comes from the moon landing people. Um, hang on, hang on. I wonder what happens when you type in space is fake. I'm just going to go down this for two seconds, people. Is our universe a fake? Mm, fake plastic atoms. Hmm. Here it is. People, you are back in the conversation, and I have some information about if space is fake or not. As <laughs> soon as I accept these cookies, which I have, I just accepted these cookies for you people. I'm not going to start this free trial for y'all. I love you, but I can't do that to myself. Uh, okay, okay, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, it's really from the moon landing, it looks like. The entire edifice of space is fake, and the government is, like, drawing it, basically, and just putting pictures out, and just making all the shit up. Like, all, like... The reason you know that space is not fake is because how could you orchestrate this like centuries long team of scientists working on the stars and all that shit and we figure it out and we know it's all true because we have like satellites and the cell phones work like it's beyond proven, but people are out here. They just want to believe something crazy, I guess. Uh, you're frozen. I hope we're still connected. Can you hear me? Uh-oh. We are definitely live and we are back in the conversation and I'm not sure where we're frozen. Yep. Okay, good. Okay. Uh, let's see. Space is fake. Did you hear anything I was saying or did it, were you offline for a second there? Kind of started chopping up right when you started Googling. Okay. There's not much. They basically just, okay. Sorry. Excuse me, listeners. We're going down this for uh will's sake. Uh, one sec. Uh, so, um, they think space is fake. They think that the government drew all the pictures and it's just CGI and that it's all a lie. And it's so easily, that conspiracy is so easily busted because who could orchestrate the centuries long team of like scientists, astronomers, and like physicists and stuff working on these problems and like making satellites. We have like functional wireless communication. Like, of course, space is real. Like, how, how, would, you, how would you create, like who could possibly create all of that? Like, I don't think, I think that's just the way the world is and space is real. So I, I, I did a little oh, bit of tracing on, on where flat earth could possibly come from. Oh God. And, yeah. This um, one. Yeah. Go the, ahead, but make it quick. This one bores me because the earth isn't fucking flat. Like let's go. There's other stuff going on. People need money. Thing. Like people need and money. It, like forget the flat earth. dude. This, this is, well, it's a great example of how to navigate these things because people look ludicrous when they try to, approach these arguments from a scientific standpoint because they're, it's not, yeah, it's not going to happen. falls right apart. Yeah. But where it comes from, I've learned from, from doing some research is the key word demiurge, D-E-M-I-U-R-G-E. Okay. And that, is, that is part of a Gnostic belief system. Okay. I know them guys, the Gnostics. That's mm-hmm. sort of like a... Uh, tangential to mysticism, right? Like some uh, sort of behind the scenes direct experience with like uh, the spiritual power. 
Well, it's actually, it's about spiritual power. It's about direct revelation and ascension for the self. Um, Yeah. yeah. Beyond beyond the words of the book. I think that's kind of the key. Yes. It it rejects the teachings of the church um, Mm -hmm. and has its own different storytelling of the lessons of of Jesus and other sort of prophets. Mm -hmm. Um, And they have this concept called Demiurge. Yeah. Which, interestingly enough, is um, the um, I, I I see a connection between their idea of the demiurge and the dragon that is referred to in the Book of Revelations. Okay. The, okay. The idea. I don't is, know either of these concepts, so. Um, they're, they're fucking metal. So yeah, yeah. The, the idea. Lay it, on, lay it on us, dude. We're in the conversation. We want to hear it. Yeah. Yeah. The, the idea is that there was this feminine creative aspect that yep. birthed, really birthed all things. So you could probably draw a line from this between this character and Gaia. Right? Okay, sure. Remember? Yeah. I think that um, repeats in a lot of old civilizations. Yeah. yeah the Babylonians and all them, so all them dudes. Yeah. The, the story of both the Demiurge and the dragon in Revelations is that they were born from this mother and then they turned around and started to consume the seeds of the mother. So all other creations coming forth from the mother, this dragon was feeding off of this thing. And basically, you know, in, um, this is kind of where it forks a little bit, but in revelations, it's like the powers that be in the cosmos were like, Oh shit, this is bad. This dragon's an asshole. We we've got to like get this mother away from it. And that kind of oh, like it was like being attacked. Yeah, so that's how the drama begins. In the, the drama is like the dragon. Oh, because the dragon is the bad guy in these old myths. Yes. So he so, is consuming like our natural resource. Or I guess resources. I mean, I don't know what it is. Our our essence. Our yeah, life. yeah. The being of light. Yeah. He's just so eating the, it. Okay. The idea of the Gnostics is basically that that dragon, or, or which they call the the demiurge, sits on the throne of God, as the church tells it, that has manipulated people into believing that it's God, but it's really not. And it's all this matrix and that all reality is a prison, right? So then that becomes becomes the idea that we live in a simulated universe, becomes the idea of, uh, you know, um, flat earth and space. And so where that brings me back to is the notion of who told you that was butter. (laughs) Because because I I think that the idea that reality itself could be controlled by some entity like that is beyond the pale. It doesn't, it doesn't hold up. Yeah. I'm not down with any of that stuff. Like the only, yeah, go ahead. if, If they're trying to say that this entity is sitting on the throne of God and is controlling our reality, the only place that entity has any control over me is when I'm reading the book. Okay. So avoid the, avoid the book and you'll be safe. That's like what they say, basically. Like, it's kind of like how media influences your sense of reality itself. Yeah, so yeah. A vibration like this, an idea like this, an archetype like this can't actually alter foundational reality right that's absurd it can't make the earth flat it can't make space fake but the influence of the media and the stories that you tell yourself the meaning that you derive is so powerful that it does shape your reality 
in a lot of different respects. And that dynamic is also very, very much tied to the dragon and the beast and all of that in Revelations in terms of controlling the people of Earth. But the control happens through media and through meaning and storytelling. Oh, man. So, like, is Twitter the dragon, are you saying? Is that what you're trying to say? I think of, I think of the Demiurge as, a, as an archetype and a frequency that is present in a lot of things. The, the U.S. dollar has Demiurge energy. Okay. Our phones have Demiurge energy. We used to kind of send our wants and our feelings and our prayers to this idea of a cosmic center and then receive something in return that would help us navigate our lives. And there's a sending and a receiving between something divine that was obfuscated by our phones, which receive, we send our requests to and we receive ads in return. Yeah, that dude. Is, that is ads. a weird yeah. kind of system where Lots. it is obfuscating your connection to the divine, to this mother, right? Yeah. And it is trapping you in a system of its own creation. Well, it's like, it like gets you into like a gambling spiral instead of like a, a reward. Like, like I, dude, I'm all the way on this train of something's wrong with how we're using these phones. Like yeah. that this week, I just, dude, I, I'll say it again. Like my head cleared up completely. I got so much done and I felt like I was able to think things through instead of like, cause now it's like a communication that like you reach out for something and you want a response person to person. You'll pretty much get it. Uh, if you are uh, spiritually inclined or religious, you might pray or like, you know, just talk to some energy or whatever, or just talk to yourself, like as though you contain the energy. Um, you could do that. But if you're like sending off tweets or like uh, Instagram posts and basing your satisfaction on the response from that, like it comes through like a gamified system that is built to trick us into using it more, not yes. anything that contains like, uh, like natural you know, reassurance or feedback or answer in any way. So and the, the in, the in out like of spiritual energy is like really thrown into a, you know, uh, some gambling device, like one of those bingo card, uh, pickers with the balls, yeah. you know, like a lottery machine. Totally. Yeah. And that doesn't people, sound good at all. <laughs> I think that's a problem. Yeah. Yes. And that's what people are, I think are rebelling against right now. Um, you well, know, in a way, hey, hey, Oppression. Yeah, I'm talking like it's part of it. People are obviously rebelling against. uh, But when you when you look at the whole mythology of QAnon, right, which is at like the beating heart of of that side of of the political spectrum in America, right? You saw the person, the lady got elected on the platform of QAnon. It might be true in or in uh, Oregon, I think. Someone got elected. Yeah, saying yeah. that, That mythology is intimately tied to flat Earth. Yep. And it's this idea that we have all been enslaved to a matrix-like system and we're now awakening to it. That's the great awakening. Mm-hmm. And so that's why it feels so potent for these people is that- Yeah. That well, is it's like fun- the Messiah, dude. The Messiah is coming. Yeah. It's fundamentally true that we are enslaved to something like that. But it's, it's yeah. not that there's one thing pulling the strings behind yeah. it. There's in one cabal. It's just- where we're at like, late right. stage capitalism. Yeah, yeah. It's like you're in it. So if you if you think, I don't know, like 
I'm worried about people who are full on into conspiracy theories because I think they've given themselves over to it. Maybe they aren't like trying to work on their <laughs> lives. You know what I mean? Because they're like, well, yeah. everything's everything's uh, total fucking bullshit. So what do I care? Like, yeah. it's like, and then the next day, like we were talking about before, you understand the world. So you just yeah. stay in that mindset. I worry for those people because it seems that just seems like a defeatist attitude. And like maybe, you know, because so, it's 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 hard to face that life has uh, its uh, inherent uh, bitter, brutal tragedies and, and annoyances you, that you have to deal with. But you just said something really interesting, which is that people give themselves over to these conspiracy theories. And what's funny is that they're basically saying, "Oh, there's a cabal that's controlling reality," and then they give themselves over to a conspiracy theory. They have jumped from one aspect of this demiurge archetype to another aspect of that very same archetype that they are yeah. primed to attach themselves to that. And the only way to really unravel that dynamic is to identify it and then shift yourself away from it. And a map between those archetypal activities is actually one of the purposes of what astrology is supposed to provide. So oh, damn. These are the mm. dominant archetypes that are in play in our solar system and on our planet yeah. right now. There's a set of there's a set of Jungian archetypes too. I wonder if they're similar. They're very similar, yeah. very similar, and they come from within, right? Yeah, like we all have them. That's the idea. Yeah, like we are all like something. I think it should everyone should remember all the time is that like you, no matter what you're like, even if you're kind of a quiet, keep to yourself person, just by the nature of what you are and like what we got going on up here, like you are an uh, like infinitely complex person, and you have tons going on. Everyone is like that. Like everyone is like that. And you will, you will feel such a wide array of things in your life that it will like, like, you know, we're all vulnerable to this kind of search for meaning in a, in a concrete system that we can trust. You might kind of bounce from need to need in your life based on your situation. And then like at one point in your life, this, these rules work for you and then they don't, you go to another thing. You know, I think, I think that's just sort of a natural pattern that a lot of people fall into. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I just think like that's the world, you know? So I, I have this belief that the feelings in our heart are precognition, that they come before the thoughts in our head. Mm-hmm. And so I can buy that if that turns we, out to be true. We get mm-hmm. these feelings first and then apply ideas, stories, and information to justify them. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds like reality. That sounds like reality. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of information showing that like your heart uh, and your mindset are just like everything, like, listen, it's everything is connected. Yeah. And that's such a, that's, that's okay. Take anything from hippiedom. I feel like that's part of it mm-hmm. because you hear a phrase like everything is connected and you're like, okay, that's just a trite little throwaway saying that sounds it's like, have a nice day. You know, like, how could that mean anything? All but the then, platitudes have so much meaning. When yeah. You when you start to dig for like understanding, you hit platitudes and you're like, oh shit, that has to do with that. I can't believe that. Like, and then, <laughs> and then it's kind of overwhelming because you're like, well, if everything is connected, that means I have to care about everything all the time because it's all connected. Like I'm tired. Like I have, what do I have to do my laundry? Like what, what do you want me to do? Like, it's crazy. Um, but you know, I guess there's like, I don't know. You kind of have to volunteer for this in your heart just to, to want to, to want to think through these things right. in this way and understand where you're at. Yep. Um, and the, the astrological yeah. argument about birth is that you are imprinted with a particular constitution based on the timing of your arrival. Yeah. So that's given to you. Yeah. That like certain archetypes will weigh a little heavier for you, or you'll be more susceptible to uh, attunement to certain archetypes because of the dynamics that were in play when you first 
took a breath and opened your eyes and experienced what this place is all about. Yeah. Well, I, like, I think you're, we keep hitting this idea of like, um, something is set in stone because your birth, the conditions around your birth here yeah. are set in stone. Yeah. And I just like, it's, it's, I find that to be irresistible, but I also like, I, like, I don't have any tattoos and I don't think I ever will. Cause I change, like my mind changes. So I, I, I have a hard time just like giving, like I have a hard time giving myself over right now at this point in my life to the astrology numerology side, even though I, like I keep saying, I still think about it that way. Like do my entire wardrobe is my colors. Like that's how much I care. You know, that's how like hard I was like into it because I just let it happen. But like, I can't because, okay. And here's the other thing in today's culture. Like I feel lots of pressure in my head or wherever right now to maintain a, uh, like scientific sort of outlook because, yeah. oh man, this is going to get confusing now. People, there's more, there's more people. You are still back in the conversation and we're hitting a solid hour and a half and I feel good about things. Um, so this is like an identity, identity thing and ideas, identity and ideas. Remember we, just, we decided that those were separate things. Yeah. So the, the tricky part is, is your identity, the traits that come along with your sign and, or your number, or are those ideas that you can use some of the time or mm. divorce yourself from? And, and listen, I'm not trying to uh, grill this out of you. Like, at the end of the day, even though I have to act professional to be a uh, counseling psychologist mm -hmm. uh, and rely on uh, research, which I do, um, that whole world, it's just as nebulous as this one. It's just yeah. as wild and confusing. There's a replication crisis where we try to do the studies again that we base our reality on and they don't fucking work. And we're like, oh, oops, uh, sorry about what we said on NPR for six years straight. Like half of it's wrong. Um, <laughs> that stuff happening right now. So it's, it's a messy world. But I, have an, I'm, I am going to have an, uh, two arts degrees, you know, at the end of the day, not two science degrees. So you, I, think, like, I think the answer to your question as you framed it is yes. But I don't remember what my question was. <laughs> <laughs> you, we're talking about the separation of identity and ideas. And then the question was, is your birth chart your identity? Okay. Yeah. And so I think the answer in that frame is, is yes. Um, but it's more about your your susceptibility, your, your constitution, your patterns, your, um, you well, know, I think what, what you might take to, um, mm -hmm. which you can build an identity off of. Yeah. You, can, you know, you can do this different is, things with that. You can think different things. This is exactly that. where I wanted to take this because yeah. it's, it's like a utility. Like right. You, you have something to work with. Right. You have a framework and silly as people might think, I will never forget the relief that washed over me when I read this chapter in this book. Like I'll admit that openly, no matter what the circumstances, because it just happened. It was like an experience. And, you know, I'm torn on it now, but I can't deny how, how willingly I like jumped on it in my head without even really like wanting to, because it just like, it, it, it fit my life eerily accurately, like terrifyingly so, like yeah. upsettingly so almost. It was like, it was like an embarrassing call out in a way. Um, well, this is, you know, people have those moments and then that, you know, is, yeah. is 
something that becomes a direct experience that, you know, challenges the skepticism. Um, yeah, and yeah. 2020 on the whole is a year where astrology has shown itself to be alarmingly accurate. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have uh, an example or two maybe? Yeah. So, um, you could, you could look up a lot of different astrologers talking about 2020 in the years leading up to this year and, and just sort of see different takes on, um, you know, how there, there was a lot of prediction that this was going to happen, but the, the actual why and the movements that, that took place were, um, first Uranus moving into Taurus, which is a slow moving planet that means the deconstruction of some of the foundational pillars of society, like money and institutions. Yeah. And that began, I, either in 2018 or 2019. Um, and in terms of 2020 itself, there is the conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. Oh yeah. The age of age of Aquarius, right? So there's that, yeah. It's supposed to be that's, this year. That, that's the future that's on the other side of this, and that's defined by... I'm reading some uh, crazy shit, by the way. <laughs> I have some wild shit for you. But please continue, please continue. So, yeah, the age of Aquarius is defined by something that's, that's different and really interesting, um, but very, very different from day-to-day astrology. It's, it's about a 26,000-year cycle with 2,500-year, or days, so to speak, and we're moving from... Um, Pisces into Aquarius for the next 2,500 year cycle. Yeah. Like that's a long time. It is, it is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of interesting when you think about how you can kind of bookend a little bit of a story in terms of the last 2,500 years of history. It's neat. It, it fits, it's tidy. Dude, and then can I, yeah. A new phase, but so yeah, so Saturn, Saturn is moving. Saturn's in Aquarius right now. Um, Saturn, moves around the sun every 27 years. So it's not Saturn that is moving us into the age of Aquarius, but Saturn is a very, very strong presence that reminds us of who we really are. And so it's gone retrograde and it's in Aquarius from this, like went into it about a month ago and it's going to be in that until August or September. And then it's going to go back into Capricorn and where that that's kind of giving us right now a little bit of a taste of what our our world is going to be after all of this. Yeah, um, okay. When it when it jumps back into Capricorn, it's going to be a little bit of the deconstruction even more again. So that's going to be interesting. But there's this conjunction that is taking place between Jupiter and Saturn and Pluto, um, and even and even Neptune is in there in that game a little bit. So that's a lot of planetary energy that is kind of creating this vortex that is really the defining. Yeah. It's like the big one, right? Like, you know, that's what, that's what I'm reading here. A big, okay. A big one. Can I read some uh, lines from this article I brought up that was written in December of last year? Yeah. By an astrologer predicting uh, some events this year. Yeah. The key word is uncertainty. Uh, there's a big Jupiter-Neptune conflict. So I don't know what that means at all. Because I know those are planets. But, I can uh, do something after you read this. Okay, yeah, but check this out. There's, here's, the, here's the wild thing. Where'd it go? Okay. 
Where'd it go? Basically, it said that this would be a year uh, in constant turmoil and economic and political systems will break down. Uh, it is natural that this should be a turbulent time. Uh, suggest preparing yourself for financial difficulty and frustration between January and May. So financial difficulty and frustration between January and May, I think that we did that. Uh, but it says the most unsettled period will be in September and October. And the first half of the year, mm, okay, so this is where it doesn't fit, is the first half of the year is relatively calm. So I hope that's not the case, because that'd be terrifying. But it does <laughs> say uh, it will be a, a defining year for humanity that represents the summing up of the past and the establishment of a new order. The final year of the outgoing Piscean age. Yep. So everything you just said is totally supported by this. And I'd say most of what I just read was pretty like uh, interesting in terms of predictions. So, and, and that's like where the, the rubber meets the road in terms of what do you think about this stuff? Like it's happening to me right now as I scroll through and I see things that sound right. And I'm just like, oh man, what if the rest is right too? You know, what if I really do need to watch out in the fall when things are going to get super duper crazy? Like, well, what is that going to look like if this is all right? So, One of the things to do is to yeah. retroactively look at the moments when you've had these Saturn-Jupiter-Pluto conjunctions. Oh, see, like, I would have to learn a bunch to go to, like, figure that out, you know? Like, for me personally, I find that, like, I don't go deep enough into the thing itself to, like, carry it around in my head right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you've studied it a lot more than I have. So, so I don't want to do that. Help, <laughs> uh... What? Also, I'm going to share my screen and show. Oh. oh yeah. Show me some stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You need to enable me. Yeah. I, I feel like I want this or I'm trying to have this be a indictment and an advertisement for astrology because the world <laughs> is your, the world is your choice. You get to choose, you know, you get to choose, yeah. but it's good to um, know all the, the stuff. I need you to enable me to share screen. If oh I'm bro, gonna... I got you. I'm enabling the shit out of you right now. What do I do? Uh, I don't use this much. I just got the pro version. What's up, everyone? You are back in the conversation. Uh, what do I do? Hang on. Enable to share. Uh, oh, I got you. Okay. Do you know how to do this? I'm keeping this in the tape, by the way. I'm not cutting this. Okay. <laughs> you did it. Oh, you did it? Yeah. Good. I did it. I clicked the button. Oh, look at me. Oh, look at you. Brain? All right. I see these uh, concentric circles. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all so about this is it. Really cool little dashboard here. What you have are two different views of our solar system, the heliocentric view, which puts the sun at the center, and the geocentric view, which puts the earth at the center. So a lot of yeah. astrology is based on, well, astrology. Yeah, that was Copernicus. That's where, well, that's where the split happened, right? When we, or I don't actually know. I, I yeah, mean, yeah, actually, that's a really good thing to point out is oh, yeah. because astrology is based off of the notion of the earth at the center of the cosmos, whereas the astronomer the astronomers know that we're not in the middle of anything yeah we're in some crazy galaxy okay all right physically, physically yeah. but yeah not conceptually but then the thing you got to remember is like on all those other planets everywhere which yeah we know exactly where they are we calculated that shit there's no life there's no yep. life nothing's going on it's it's just it's just materials there's, there's no an where that thing is yeah or even so, I mean, there's an argument to be made that suspended in infinity, all beings are the center of their own universe. Okay, that makes me want to sit down, even though I'm already sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> okay. so we, can, we can see a little bit of what astrology 
is in a physical sense with this nice little chart. Yeah, so, wait, um, keep explaining. Keep explaining the chart. I'm with you. So we have the symbols of all the different planets. So here we've got uh, we've got Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, and then Jupiter. Ah, wait, Saturn, and then Jupiter, and okay. then Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, and this chart on the bottom shows when they go into retrograde. Okay. So you just find where you are. Yeah. What is Okay. What is that? Can you define the significance of retrograde? Cause that's like the next level astrology terminology where like, I just don't grasp it. And then I turn around and I go watch basketball or something. Like that's usually where I, where I do that. Yeah. So, I, know, I mean, I know it means going backwards, but like what does it mean as a reverse energy or something? Well, this will this will help clarify that a lot. Okay, so okay. In the sky, it looks like it's going backwards. That's that's kind of like the experiential definition of it. But the question is, why does it go backwards? Mm -hmm. So here we see on this chart on the right, Earth is at the center, and then we have the other planets around it. When a planet here is red, that means that it's in retrograde, and right. we're going to see a couple of things. So let's look at. Venus, because Venus is currently, it's gone retrograde. Okay. Um, it's like the most retrograde right now, I see. Yep. So I'm going to move the timeline back. So this timeline actually moves, right? You Ooh. can kind of see. So this is the, the beginning of the year here. And as we move into June, Venus goes retrograde. So keep your eye on the geocentric view on the right. Okay. Keep your eye on Venus, the um, the kind of onk looking symbol, the, the on the third right here. Oh yeah. Oh, they're in order. They're in order. Right. So as it starts to become red, you see that its motion stops. Oh. Right. And then it begins to move backwards. But that's not how planets orbit. Right. So that's it works what, that way. That's why we should take a look over at the heliocentric view from the sun. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm being stupid. I, I got you. No, 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 no. That was, that that was, was around. That's how it looks from the earth. That's how it looks from the earth. Yeah. So now looking at the heliocentric view, keeping our eyes on the earth and on Venus, we can see what causes that retrograde. Oh. It's when they are at the closest together in their orbit around the sun. So now let's do the same thing with, um, with Jupiter right here and Saturn, which are entering retrograde right now as well. So starting here, looking at their, their movements, they stop. They just suddenly stop. Well, you stopped it. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean they stop? What do you mean they stop? I don't get it. Why would like, they stop? Like, look at a steady rate and look at how their rate of motion just kind of ceases. Oh, I do see that. Yeah. And then they start to reverse in the sky. This really illustrates it well, because here is where they are in the solar system in the heliocentric view. Yeah. Here on Earth in midway through March. When we approach retrograde is when we are approaching them in the solar system. So everything's together while they're in retrograde? Yeah. Okay. So and that seems juicy in the astrology uh, world? It what seems like a time of great interest. 
what retrograde means is that our planet is at its closest to that other planet physically. Oh, because that's the only time that it can ever look like it's going the other way mm-hmm. because of the way that everything yep. is. <laughs> yeah, okay. It's okay. like you're it's like you're catching up to so, a car and the car. So when you down. so let me ask you, when you hear uh whatever uh Jupiter is in retrograde, in everyday terms, that means uh whatever impact uh this has on you is like in the opposite or what it like that's where i'm trying to get like what does it mean that the planet is in retrograde will it just depend on whatever the significance is in your whole life the idea is that those energies go under review okay by who by you oh okay okay yeah What what do you mean by that like you look at both sides of it and decide they, they become really pronounced and um, they, it just kind of makes them a little bit more hectic. And okay. so, so it's sort of like when you have a disease, you know, something emerges from your body that you start to review. It could be your, your, your sleeping habits or your nutrition um, or, or something else, right? It just kind of comes into the foreground. Okay. So that's why Mercury in retrograde is like communication systems start to go like a little haywire um, uh, because Mercury is about archetypally, it's about communication. Because he was the messenger boot, uh, wings on it. He is the guy with the boots with the wings, right? He's a messenger. Yeah. 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 Shit. Okay. So the, Interesting. the archetypal assignment on all of these planets is, is a long story, but that's the idea the archetypal assignment of these planets captures the occulted history of our humanity. So yeah. we have, we have <laughs> I just completely agree with that before I really thought it through. <laughs> Can you say, say that again? Say that again. Say that again. The archetypal assignments on these planets capture the occulted history of our humanity. Okay. So we've passed information down through construct and stories. Yep. 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 The age. We sure, we sure have, yeah. We've been around for a very long time. We have. And the zodiac, the constellations on which these planets appear in the background based on the geocentric view, are also infused with archetypal meaning that are passing along occulted knowledge of what it means to be human, what it means to be alive on this planet. Right. So this is so one of the, the whole meaning making system. All yeah. Of Right, which is just, it's just been around. I think there's such an inherent value in examining these systems that have just been with us. Yep. We, don't, we don't know the distant past, but we have things from it. So like, well, I don't know, like what could be more interesting than that? Like, but within that is a principle called Barry Center. Oh, Jesus. Okay. All right, let's go. I still got my pen, dude. I'm rolling. This is the movement, the wobble of the sun in our solar system. So the gravity of the planets actually moves the, the actual center point of the star's gravity, and it wobbles around its center of gravity. This is how we find uh, extrasolar planets, is we identify the wobbles in these distant stars, and then we're able to deduce that they have planets because of the ways in which they wobble. Gotcha. Yep. I've, I've seen that idea in like, a, like an article. Yeah. They're like, we found a planet. Here's how. Yeah. So that is one means by which these movements become important to the experience of life on this planet. 
is it directly impacts the energy that we're receiving from our star. Oh, because of the reflection and the angle? Because when you have two giant fucking planets like Saturn and Jupiter in alignment, it's pulling the sun in that direction. Yeah? Are yes. you sure? Yeah, yeah? Yes. How do you know that? How do you know that? Like, because I'm not saying it's not true. I, I won't resist it. But like, how do people, how do, do we just know that from, is, is that like an as, astronomy, like a yeah. support? Because that's this the thing. So I don't want to like, I don't want to ever like, oh, this connection between astronomy and astrology, because like they're, they're, inter, they're intertwined. The source of this information that I'm showing you right now is NASA. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. That's why I asked that question. Because so they're be going like that's an easy thing to be skeptical about and throw away like Jupiter and Saturn come on pull the sun towards them like what the fuck are you on like but so actually they're they're, actually. they're they're showing that Jupiter has an impact on the sun in terms of its placement in relation to its berry center this sort of kind of accidental uh, oh, center of gravity center of gravity yeah 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 okay. I buy that concept. I know that's real. Yeah. Real enough for me. So here we go. Yeah. Where is the very center between Earth and the sun? The sun has a lot of mass. In comparison, Earth's mass is very small. That means the sun is like the head of the sledgehammer. So the very center between Earth and the sun is very close to the center of the sun. Jupiter is a lot larger than Earth. It has 318 times more mass. As a result, the very center of Jupiter in the sun isn't the center of the sun. It's actually just outside the sun's surface. So they share a center of gravity. And the sun shares a center of gravity with all of the planets. They each have a, like a paired off center of gravity, right? Yep. yep. And so what that does is it creates a very, very dynamic rhythm between that star and its planets that creates a wobble in the actual star itself okay i am accepting this information is true yeah we are so, by, by the way for people just listening we are browsing through a, a page on nasa.gov about berry centers the center of gravity between planet and a, and a star this is where this is where you need something like science because it would be too simple to say that the sun is pulled towards jupiter because its pull is a lot slower than its revolution so this is where you crunch numbers and it's, it's a really sophisticated model because you have to calculate the pull of Jupiter on the sun plus Saturn plus Earth plus Mars and then all of their relative movements to basically figure out how can we predict, be predictive about the, the sun's wobbling, so to speak. Okay. And I haven't found a good resource for that, but we do know and we are starting to gain a deeper understanding of the sun's cycles that there are solar maximums and solar minimums that are about 11 years yeah. and that's probably based on some formula related to the broader movements of the planets because they all have set cycles so some resonance pattern yeah well, it's very it's very tempting to think that everything fits together right i think that's like the human we all want that to be the case just like meaning finding yeah uh, so, so yeah the, the physics would tell us a story that the placement of the planets in certain conjunctions may have some kind of impact in terms of the wobble of, of the star. So when I look at something like this general alignment of which we're moving into this sort of vortex here, something in terms of the solar energy that we are receiving is going to be impacted by that alignment. Okay. And so that, how does it translate into what's happening around us? Like, what do you, maybe, 
Is it how, um, what's the what's the influence? Like, what 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 do you think it'll feel like? One influence, chaotic. Gosh, sorry, I'm totally just not letting you answer my question. <laughs> well, I think one influence is that if if all of these things are are impacting the if they're pulling on the sun, then they're pulling on Earth also, right? So there's sure. There's that kind of feeling. And we know that, you know, just the moon, it's, it's proximity is significant, but yeah, it affects the tide. It affects the tides. Yeah. So we're talking about very, very minute things. And even with the, the movement of the, the sun, we're talking about very, very minute things. Mm-hmm. But that's where my curiosity gets peaked because that is where I think the objective mindset, the skeptical mindset would be very, very dismissive of what that impact could be. Yeah. But that's not satisfying to me to dismiss it. Sure. Like it's, you can approach it different ways. Like right, right now I have my inner skeptic is like so ready to pounce right now. Cause I'm, because I just want to say like, okay, but like, so what, you know, that's, that's the skeptic sort of fallback. It's like, yeah, but like you can't measure and prove that, that the influence is real. And that it's the way you describe, like you might, it might match up, but that's not enough for me, the skeptic. But if you were like our, um, you know, I don't want to say like a believer, uh, if you're a hippie, if you're a hippie, you know, um, you're ready to, to see how this goes. Like you're open to investigating it and like, ex- like letting it, you're, you're allowing it to possibly be, be real or real enough, you know, like functionally real. Yeah. And I think that's a divide. So that's where you huh. end up having a choice because yeah. the speed. Science is too slow for one lifetime. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. And and another thing that uh, I've been wanting to say into a microphone for a while is that like everyone needs to always stop and realize like science is a human endeavor and it has all the pitfalls of humanity that you might imagine, like uh, faking things or um, money corrupts it quite a bit. Like uh, or you know uh, information just doesn't get published that would be valuable and we just don't know about it. Like we have this really hardcore right now, trust of science, like all the way through. And I think that's good uh, for the most part in a lot of ways, especially with anything like physical, like I'm not telling you to worry about, um, you know, the infrastructure of your house and stuff like that. these engineers and physicists and these guys, they're doing fine. But like the social sciences and sort of like what we're talking about, like, like the intimate moments of day-to-day life and your inner thoughts, like that science is shaky, I, I would say. So just, and that, that informs a lot of our current national conversation because people hear a study about so-and-so and then that's the truth, you know? But yep. yeah, so like, I don't want to tell people to uh, be constantly lost in a, in a desperate uh, groping uncertainty about the world, you know? But like, nothing is the real thing. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I really mean that, but... Well, so, you know, I think that you're, you're making a mistake if you're yeah. allowing the predictions of astrology to determine the entirety of your life. Yeah, that's, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm not telling anyone to be nihilistic or not to trust the world, but like nothing is everything. That's what yeah. I'm saying. Nothing can be everything. Cause like you, like I said before, we are all too complex. Life is too complex. You know, like how many among us really keep like, you know, up with everything they, they think they're supposed to like who hits their weekly to-do list. You know, I bet it's not hey, a big percentage. Hey. Life is hard. You Being know, able like, to look at something like this, though, this, this, this grid and, and kind of follow it like I follow the weather. Yeah. It cool. give, I really enjoy it. why I wanted to have this conversation. You enjoy it, but you enjoy it. And it helps you make decisions, right? It, help, it helps me make meaning. So okay. Okay. what's happening right now in the world 
is really scary. And I could look at it as a descent into total chaos, Mm -hmm. but this information system has allowed me to look at it as the collapse of one civilization and the birth of another. And that there are specific aspects of that story in terms of the deconstruction of how we think about currency, the deconstruction of our institutions and other things along those lines that help me to get through this and and feel that there's a terminus to it, that it is not the end of the world Mm -hmm. as we know it. It's also the birth of another one because that is what is being told in the specific chart that we have in front of us. And isn't that neat that it maps with what is happening in the news? And the news itself is no longer a reliable resource for figuring out what's happening. That's another one. So you can't trust uh, any of your belief systems. You can't trust science. You can't trust the news. Yep. But like for real though, and that's really, uh, we talked about this a little bit before we uh, put it on wax, but um, the news, you know, or three or four years into this news being a real questionable endeavor and probably before that too. And I'm not trying to call out the entire press. I know there are lots of uh, honorable people in the media with plenty of integrity. and I. I do trust like the general picture of the world. I'm not saying everything is a lie, but clearly there's multiple ways to report things. And uh, like, we're in a mess right now. We're in a mess right now. So in, an, a, in a time of like a seriously uh, intense uncertainty, and I think this is probably the biggest one of those in our lifetime, right? I mean, 9-11, the, the fallout from 9-11 was like a week and then airports changed. We're, th- yeah. we're three months into this thing. And we don't know what the hell's going to happen next. So doesn't it kind of help you as a human being to have some system of some sort in place to rely on so that every day you don't have to make up your uh, identity and your values? You know what I mean? Like, I'm not trying to tell people to pick any one thing and stick to it forever, but for God's sake, we need these things. Yeah. The other thing too is that humans are pattern making machines. Yeah, um, yeah. Making so. machines. And we see what we want to see in this kind of stuff. And as it turns out, all of these planets and all of these zodiacs, like I said, are infused with stories from all of human history. Right. And you're being gifted exposure to lessons that humans who came before you have learned. Exactly. And you will receive the wisdom mm-hmm. that you need to receive based on what's happening to you on a subconscious level in that moment. So absolutely. The, 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 that makes it workable on a subjective level, even if it is not true in any way on an objective level. Yep. Yeah. And, and the thing is, that's good enough for me. You know what I mean? Like I don't need final proof of anything because it sure seems like the further we reach, the less we know almost in every direction, but isn't it nice to have like a, just like a framework, a, a hint, you know, like a, some suggestions. I think it's great. I think it's good. I think it's good. So I don't know. This show wasn't, the purpose of the show wasn't for me to pinpoint my view on astrology, but uh, I think it's fine. <laughs> well, I think one little, I need like a judge gavel to hammer right now. I need like a gavel. One little um, test here to consider is that based on the principles that we've been talking about, everything that we're dealing with should reach a crescendo in July. It's starting to look that way. And uh, yeah, the, and I do feel some, 
So there's two kind of tests here. These signals point to a crescendo in July, which so need sports, enough. That's when sports are supposed to come back. Just so, like July 4th is like yeah, that, yeah. right? Um, and then it would seem that as soon as we get into 2021, it's like the dream ends. And then we uh-huh. wait and things are just kind of steady and normal. Yeah. So for people, for people just listening, we're still looking at this year-long chart of retrograde, which sort of signifies when the planets are uh, close to us and affecting us the most. Uh, and this year, is there's a lot of red on the chart. So red is uh, retrograde, and then green is sort of safe. It's far away from you. So all, yeah. the, all the second half of 2020 is like, like five, six planets are blaring red for a long time. It's like a cacophony of this. And then the next year, 2021 on, it's just like green. With it's like right sprinkles of red. You get to 2021, it's just like, so the, Yeah, the picture it paints is that a bunch of crazy shit's about to go down starting in, uh, right now. Um, and then uh, in January, we'll be uh, seeing where we're at. So that's an interesting uh, thing to <laughs> thing Put to it know. to the test, in yeah. a way, right? I mean, this is where I think the job of an astrologer is like, all right, you got to get real predictive right now. And, yeah, and crunch time. This and, is mayhem, yeah. Yeah, but I think for the purposes the flood, of art, it's, it's the flood. If you want to put it in biblical terms, it's the flood, chaos, <laughs> the flood, dude. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, we'll see, man. Yeah, we we definitely will. Uh, so listen, we just hit a clean two hours. Uh, I'm thrilled, and uh, we'll have to do it again you know, once we have a new chunk of reality to examine. Uh, yeah. I think we ought to make this an ongoing an ongoing um, appearance for you. And we'll keep the people uh, locked into their, their spiritual lives and their connections with themselves and with others. And I think that would be a nice thing to do. Sure. There's so cool, much. Man. Right on. Okay, yeah. man. Well, I'm going to hang up on you officially, but we're going to keep chatting. But the people can't hear it, okay? All right. All right. Well, uh, you were just back in the conversation with your host, Alex Gaynor, featuring my special guide friend in life who has shown me the way many times, Will Katie. <laughs> uh, a blast to see you, man. And thank you all for listening. Catch you later. Later.